Hello, everybody, and welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. It's Thursday at 7 o'clock BST, and we are live on twitch.tv forward slash DNI Stream. I'm Chris Seawock, and unfortunately, Josie cannot be with us today because she is ill again. I am, however, joined by a new guest who's here to talk about the, pre- the Peter Principle, which is easier to think than it is to say by the sounds of it. Um, yeah. Paul, Paul Aldred, is it Aldred Ban? I should have asked you that before. Ban, Aldred Ban. Um, for the benefit of our, of our listeners, can you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do. Yeah, I'm Paul. I'm a developer. Write code. Been writing code for a long time. Um, recently broken free of the shackles of employment and went my own way. So I run my own thing now, which is hard. For a lot uh, of reasons, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things that we talk about on this show quite a lot is uh, self-employment, being a contractor. And also, I mean, Josie runs her own business, Um she does contracts in a way, but she doesn't do the typical contracting that you see that you and I kind of do. You yeah. know, she does more. Um, she she has a contract with somebody, and then she'll you know host websites or she'll put a, a blog together oh, yeah. for people and that kind of thing. She does lots of different, lots and lots of different things. That isn't all it is. Um, but anyway, yes, hello, Paul, and hello to everybody in Twitch chat as well. Please do get involved with the show. It is live, and we do feel questions. If there's anything relevant or funny or just interesting that you have to say. Please let please uh, get involved, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, before we get going, we have to do an icebreaker question. I say we have to because Josie's the one who normally pushes for this. Um, I, you know, I'm getting used to it now, but um, I've prepared a very simple one now because Paul's a coder, um, because I'm a coder. I decided to do a techie one today. Normally, we have completely out there kind of random. What's your favorite planet type thing? You know. Uh, but today I'm going to have a bit of techie one. So, tabs or spaces? <laughs> well, spaces, but only because it doesn't matter anymore. Like before, tabs were a lot, a lot safer. See, a lot less memory intensive. But I, I used to be a tab guy. I used to be back in the day. Um, but then I started doing cross-platform development and I started doing cross-editor development as well. So I was working in uh, Management Studio, Visual Studio, VS Code, Ultra Edit, Notepad++, you know, whatever was appropriate for the for the, the application. Yeah. And tabs very quickly became um, annoying and very, very quickly became a problem for me. So I'm these days I am exclusively a, tab, a, a spaces guy. I used to be exclusively tabs, so... You try getting somebody with a mechanical keyboard using four space indent with spaces. Just get them to press it sixteen times. Well, yeah, most editors these days have an uh, you know, auto auto indenting, don't they? So yeah, which changes the tab to spaces. No, it doesn't. Not with not she got it set like that. Anyway, didn't want to go into a big thing. I just wanted a quick, a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick, quick icebreaker. So anyway, on to today's show topic, which is entitled "Tech and the Peter Principle." And this is a a topic that uh, Paul has come up with today, being the guest. I don't know much about the Peter Principle. I've read the wiki article a little bit. I've read your notes. Um, so let's start off with a question: Can you explain to me and to the audience what the Peter Principle is, where it comes from? Yeah, I'm going to cheat and fall back on the um, official definition, and then I'll talk about it. So the Peter Principle is a concept in management developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to their level of incompetence. 
So an employee is promoted based on their success in previous jobs until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent. And skills in one job do not necessarily translate to another. So we're talking about a developer that's been promoted to a development team lead or a development manager, for example, in our world, and they don't have management skills, but they do have coding skills, potentially? Yeah, kind of. Um, it's not necessarily restricted to developers, though. So it's, it's usually, it depends on the company and the kind of, you know, how far the workforce is away from the kind of owners of the business, how much middle layer fluff there is. If there's not much, you find things tend to be either better or worse. But if there's a lot of it, then you you kind of find that management are just people that survived attrition. Right. So they kind of they've been there the longest. So just by natural evolution of their job, they have the most subject out of knowledge. So they're up for promotion when one comes. Okay. Um but the danger with that is you could be promoted away from your skill set. And that's pretty much what the Peter Principle says. It says over time, you'll keep getting promoted eventually to a point that has nothing to do with why you joined the company. And if you don't get promoted or you don't accept your promotions, then you tend to get left behind or get ignored or you, you people don't take you as seriously, in my experience anyway, in, in a permanent position. Yeah. So that's so, what I faced um, working, is I kind of reached a level where people wanted me to become management, but knowing I wouldn't be good at it and knowing it would take me away from doing what I enjoy doing, hmm. um, it just wasn't for me. See, I, I can I can totally understand the, you know, the want and the need to remain doing something that you want to do, but when it comes to the commercial aspect of a business, a lot of the time, people, businesses or, or manage, management or uh, owners of businesses, they promote the people who've been there the longest, not necessarily just because they've been there the longest, because they know the business the most as well. So they are being shifted into places that they can make decisions that are better for the business. Now, I'm not saying that always happens, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of plenty of things to say about that, but that tends to be... I think the thinking at least behind it. So the Peter principle says that does it does it say does it say that it always occurs? I mean, when someone gets promoted or is it just eventually they will get to a point they will continually be promoted that they may be okay at being a team leader, they may be okay at being a manager um for, you know, on a on a kind of line management scale, but as soon as they get promoted to let's say senior stakeholder or, you know, I don't know. They might get they might get promoted to a project manager, for example. They don't. They no longer have the skills for for being a project manager, and they have, either have to yeah. train for them or or not. That's what it says, yeah. doesn't well, it? So, like like you said earlier, um, if you don't get promoted, you stay where you are. You know how long how long can you accept that? Uh, how long before somebody less experienced than you is managing you? And that kind of breeds resentment. But suppose you, you make your bed though at that point, don't you? You do, yeah. But this is that's why manage, management's a really, really hard thing. Hmm. So the people that tend to promote other people into management don't really do it because this person's going to be good at managing people. 
they do it because they've shown a kind of loyalty to the company. So from that, they kind of infer that that person as a manager will always act in the company's interest rather than people. And to me, that just makes a horrible leader. Yeah, absolutely. Well, leader, we, we know leadership and management are two different things. We, we've talked about leadership quite a lot on this show before. We've, we've talked about how to be a good leader. And leader doesn't always necessarily mean somebody who is uh, in a position of power or in a position of management. You know, a leader yeah. is somebody who is, I don't know, who's powerful, who leads. There's different types of leaders as well. There's people who lead from the front. There's people who lead from behind, who, who should lead by example. And then there's others that do it what in a way that I would consider wrong, who, who kind of push, you know, push people to do things instead of encourage them, empower them, you know. Yeah, so, so the kind of a leader cares about the individual and their success. A manager cares about the company and its success at, at any cost. Hmm. Um, are you clicking, by the way, or tapping something? I was. Not anymore. So I can I can hear it quite clearly. It's quite off-putting. For, <laughs> try not to if you. Um, so, yeah, okay, that's that's an interesting way of, of putting it. And so, so a manager is basically what I just said, wasn't it? Earlier on, that yeah. a manager is is cares about the business and the. I suppose. It's a difficult one because a manager sometimes doesn't necessarily care about the business. They care about their career because they're chasing the next step. They're chasing that promotion or their um, the next uh, money, you know, next next grade of payment or or. A- yeah, are they though? I don't really know. Maybe I've, I've never been a manager, so I've never kind of operated in in the problems that they have day to day. I mean, if you think about what it takes to be a manager the people that they deal with are probably quite difficult. Mm. So but in some cases you could be, you could start a company as a really kind uh, driven person. And then as you kind of work your way up a company's corporate ladder, you could find that you end up running into people that are quite toxic. Mm-hmm. And to kind of survive around them because you have to, because if you don't survive, if you don't survive around them, they will push you out. So I was reading something um, called "Disrupted" by Dan Lyons about his time working at what was it called some blog platform, uh, and he was saying that his manager, who he calls Chernoff in the book, was—it's just you, know, you have to read the book. It's scary. It's called "Disruptor." Did you say? Disrupted. So it's Dan Lyons. Um, He's talking about his manager, how his manager just sounded like a sociopath. So you kind of scream at him, shout at him down the phone. And then the next day, Dan would go into work and kind of say, you know, what was that about? And this guy, he'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I I didn't mean to cause. Really sorry you feel that way. I hate that. I absolutely (laughs) hate that. I'm sorry that it's your problem. Uh, yeah. No. As a leader, as a manager, you need to take responsibility for your own actions. I've known people like that in my career. I'd never say that I've had a career. I've just done. I've I've been a coder while I was permanent. I was a coder and I got promoted to lead. You know, team lead type thing. Yeah. Um, I've had. How did that happen? Um, how did the promotion happen? Uh, did you kind of pursue that, or did it just? 
No, um, the two times, well, the first time I got promoted to team leader, um, it was actually product, it was product owner, I was called, but it, it's not what we would refer to in an agile world as product owner. It was product lead. It was the, per, the, the person who made decisions and then got overridden by management um, on... <laughs> on yeah. the product on on technical decisions about the particular product I was working on I had it handed to me by one of the senior management and he was going to retire and stuff and he had it he handed it to me he pretty much just did what he wanted when he wanted and got you know got results really it was kind of a, a, an early company at the time and then I got um promoted from kind of a junior first it was my first job developer to this team leadership role and then I had at the same time a new employee that came and I kind of mentored at the same time so I was a junior in skills when I look back at myself I was a junior in skills but I was the leader of a team making technical decisions for a product that I didn't really know that much about um, but also mentoring somebody who knew nothing about coding that person is still at that company um, weirdly, and he, I don't know what he's doing now, but he's probably the, I imagine, the product lead because he was there when I yeah. was. And the product that I was working on, which was tiny at the time because they had three other products, all three of the other products have all disappeared. And the product I was working on is what the company makes money on now. It is the only product that they really, you know, sell. Oh, yeah. it's the biggest product in their arsenal, rather. But That's yeah, fine. didn't chase it, just happened. Just happened. Other times I um, chased the money. I moved from a job into more senior positions and then I don't know I become dis I became disheartened with a career path and then I dis I discovered in one place where I moved to that contracting existed and I thought that's exactly what I want I want the challenge of moving between places doing interesting project work and being my own boss and being my own destiny you know be beholden to nobody um, and that's what I do these days. So I don't really have a job title anymore. <laughs> but you probably find, even being a contractor, that you know before all this this started, trying to get remote working was sometimes just impossible. Uh, the place where oh, we, we don't work like that. Well, clearly you do because you are now. So you could have done. Um. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had lot, I've had lots of conversations on this podcast about how I work as a contractor. I'm not a typical bums on seat contractor, and you've probably seen by you and I met on LinkedIn. You know, you've seen all of the posts that I put out there. I don't just do that for effect. I do that because that's how I work. I will not Same. be. I will not be beholden to any client. If a client tries to control, direct, or supervise me in any way, shape, or form, and, and that includes remote working, I work in my office. And it, my office is none of the, where that is is none of their concern, and the hours that I do is none of their concern, as long as I deliver the results that they need, and I, you know, I, I keep my own timesheets just so I can keep a track of what I'm doing. But other than that, I jump between jobs uh, on an individual basis. Wednesday, for example, I didn't do a job in the afternoon, but I did a stream in the afternoon, and I do that most Wednesdays. And the client I'm working for couldn't care less about that because I've got that relationship with them. And that's anyway. We're we're moving out of the tech yeah, and the yeah. Peter Principle thing. Yeah. But, so um, right. To drag it. Sorry, I keep talking over you. To drag it back. Um, kind of think about 
if a client could control you, how can you do a good job for that client? If they're if they're the one with the problem and they're coming to you with for a solution, but they're also imposing a certain number of constraints on how you deliver that solution, how can it ever be good? And this is the kind of thing that you get when so why do companies use contractors? They use it to either fill gaps for employees that they can't get mm-hmm. or in some cases they get it because they want some kind of expert guidance or somebody's going to join the team and mentor people and help them build stuff so they're kind of relying on you as that other opinion somebody that isn't invested in the company somebody that isn't part of a clique so they're wanting you to kind of go in there and help them be better and you can't really do that if you're answerable to their management because you just become another one of the team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it, it it largely depends on the client, but the manager that I'm answering to, and it depends, sorry, it also depends on the manager I'm answering to. And that's yeah. that's the, some managers think that they are managing me. Other managers want me as that outside source. And that's the distinct difference. I, I, It's been a long time since I've had a manager that manages me because I set my boundaries very clear at the start. And I'd say no to more jobs than I say yes to these days because I know how uh, bad the contracting industry is with that. Getting off topic again. Very easy to well, do, no, isn't right. it, when you get two contractors on a podcast? <laughs> Let's look at the actual word then. So management. What, what, does, it, what does that actually mean? What are you managing? It's like, People. are you, how, what, what exactly about the person are you managing? You're managing, you're supervising their work. Are you though? Or are you kind of policing their obedience to corporate rule? Depends on the manager. It does. Yeah. It depends, depends on the person as well. But as I was saying, everybody at work kind of adopts this persona, this work persona. So like going back to my very first job, I kind of started at Tesco um, and met my manager. And I realized that I'd start talking in this different way, using bigger words, more complex sentences. So I did, what, what, what am I doing? Um, and I just realized it was completely passive. Didn't, didn't get any kind of hint that it was going to happen. But I found myself starting this job and then just immediately becoming eager to please like subservient and i hated that back in the early days but not now yeah well now it's management are trying to change aren't they they're not called managers anymore they're called i don't know people coaches or lead aspirational motivator or something like that um team i can't think of anything positive No, I, I, like I said, I want to keep. I want to keep it. It's not an anti-management thing, so I'll talk more about that. Um, even though it sounds like it, because I'm just bashing managers and management, but that was never my intention, and that was never the intent of this. But traditionally, management is about controlling people. It's about imposing limitations and making sure they follow them. So I'm sure most people have worked at a company where. You know, they could they could work until six, seven o'clock the night before, and the next day they come in five minutes late, and the manager's tapping his watch or tapping her watch or whatever. 
what <laughs> things like that that's 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 just a sociopath that's that's a mental illness that's somebody who doesn't doesn't isn't focusing on the right thing simple as that the the a lot of managers that have been promoted into that situation that don't have the experience or training of how to be with people focus on the things that they can control or they feel they can control because of the incompetence that they have in the job in the position because if they are if they've been promoted let's say for example let's give you an example of um something that i've seen happen a number of times not not with me but as an outside observer i've seen people come in as juniors or mid-level developers be promoted within a short period of time to seniors or team leads or even team managers and they don't know as much as the people below them the people on the hierarchy below them and they essentially nitpick and essentially try and control what they think they need to control because they haven't been told what to do a lot of the time they Try and impose controls over things like, no, no, you can't have holiday then because we've got a release going. This happened to me once, actually, in the previous company I mentioned. Uh, the manager said to me, I asked for some time off, nine months in the future. Nine months in the future. Oh, we've got a release going live then. We need you. Are you joking me? Sorry, say that again. That was an immediate response as well. So that was an immediate response. Yeah. And, and it was just I mean. like, right, well, I'm leaving then. See you later. <laughs> you know, I, there's, I'm, I, I, it's not even at that point. It's not even a, re, it's not even a reaction that that warrants arguing with. If you're going to be like that, and there's no talking to you about it, um, it's not that I want what I want, and I'm going to take my ball home. You know, it's that you need to be reasonable. You need to be able to. What if I died? What if I get run over by a bus? Does that mean I can't have? that time off when I'm in hospital, you know, it's like you need to, you need contingency in place. It's not my problem. I'm an employee, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not my problem that you don't have cover for that day because you've no. only got me. It's a need to control. And I think whether you're a person that kind of has that naturally or not, I think management makes people become that because they just have to be. Because these managers are kind of answerable to other managers who are answerable to other managers end times up a hierarchy of people. Uh, any point in that chain could be not really toxic people. And that kind of filters down to everybody. So I went, I went for an interview once for a perm job a couple of years back. And then the point where they kind of go, have you got any questions for us? I asked the manager at the time, like, why, why do you work for this company? Like, how long have you worked here? And, and what makes you come in every day? And the guy was just like, uh, oh, I don't know. I like, literally said, I don't know. And it's kind of like, now, does your manager know that you don't really kind of know why you come to work? And what does, how does your manager feel as well? So like you as managers are expected to kind of live and breathe the brand. Um, 
and you kind of expect that all the way up the tree. Now, when you kind of come up against somebody that is responsible for people and their growth within a company who doesn't really get why they even bother, what does that tell you, really, about, about management? And, and the company and the culture. We actually exactly. did a show. We did a show on culture. We had um, a team lead from a, a fairly well-known company on um, talking about it, and it was very insightful. It was very interesting talking about how to empower people and how to how to engage with developers. And it's not just about giving them beanbags and hockey tables and you know it, it's and games rooms. It's a, it's about giving them meaningful work, giving them interesting things to do, and empowering them with decision making as well empower them with the responsibility but not too much you know don't just shove it on them and go that's now your problem it's more about giving them giving them that responsibility empowering them to do it making sure that you're constantly nurturing them and you're constantly um giving them the tools and giving them support that they need and that's management that is that's that's what management should be but that's actually probably what leadership is it's the softer skills rather than the corporate skills and the um sitting you know sitting on someone's shoulders skill I mean, that's i think i think to be fair i'm being i'm being too harsh there on management i think leadership and management should go hand in hand i just think that hierarchies don't really work that well but i also don't think flat flat hierarchies work very well either you know a flat structure because that's nonsense a lot of the time no, this is a problem. Is management should be leadership. There shouldn't be any distinct difference between them, but there is, and you can tell. So, what like you've just said about kind of management pushing responsibility onto other people and how that shouldn't happen. I've I've had it in certain occasions where I've kind of spoken to management and said, you know, they've gone, you know, how can we make things better? And you kind of go, well, you can kind of give people a bit more autonomy. And then they turn around and say, oh, they won't go for that. And they won't go for that. How about you ask who them? Are they? Yeah, have you asked them? It's like, have you asked they, who I'm assuming is their management, and probably further up? I don't think it means the shareholders. I don't think it means the owner of the business. They simply mean they're the person above them. Yeah, their line manager, the person who controls the flow of their work, which is essentially what management does in a, in a way they... they take work in and then feed it down the, the chain and then yeah. feel like they're responsible for it, which they are ultimately, but if they empower the team properly, then it, it shouldn't really be much of a problem. It should be a shared responsibility, which is yeah. the, the agile way, isn't it? But if you're, as a manager, so beholden to the other person, what's the point in, in you? It's like, why isn't this other person just managing? Because, you know, you can't really do anything. You can't enact any change. So you might have a bit of discretion to let people leave early or start later or something, but ultimately, what what is it that you can do? Because you can't really lead how you want to lead because your manager won't let you. Well, that's mm. what it sounds like. So again, it's the toxicity that kind of rolls downhill to everybody. Is, is this manager might be a nice person, might be a nice guy, or woman? Keep keep saying that, um, but they're kind of constrained by the mentality of the person above. So, I'm, I think, again, I'm not bashing managers or management. I'm bashing, like we just said, the hierarchy, the, the structure. 
I think if, I, if I think about if if I if I ever went permanent ever again, and I mean hell would have to freeze over before I did that because I, I it's just not in me. I've been self-employed since I was very young. I went permanent for a short period of time. I know what I hated about it, and it was mostly the hierarchy, the management, the chain of responsibility, the the. the blame culture, the toxic environments and people and that kind of thing. And being and being bored, stagnating, you know. If I ever became uh, permanent again and I had a manager, somebody who was essentially responsible for me, I would want them to fight my corner. I've just mm-hmm. been watching um uh well I watch it all the time, but I've just caught a, a clip of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Do you have you seen that? It's a cop show American no. Sandberg. I didn't yeah. want to watch it. No, I just never did. So the, it, it's got great characters in it. It's very, it's, I think it's very popular in America as well, but it's, it's got great characters in it. And there's a sergeant in it who is Terry Crews. And he's a great leader in this show. He always stands up for people, but though he just had a problem where his superior wouldn't stand up for him um, for a particular reason. It was actually a, a reason around race. There was some racist stuff going on and they were kind of addressing it um but eventually he explained to his superior why and his superior he's obviously terry cruz is black and his superior is black as well um and his superior thought it was a bad idea because it would make him uh it would ruin his career and to to kind of complain about this thing and um basically it showed how a lot of the time people's prejudices um, when they're in positions of management or in positions of power at the upper end of the hierarchy, their prejudice, their personal prejudices and personal opinions can get in the way of empowering their team. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if, it worked out. It always works out in the end in those kind of shows. You know, he worked out and he ended up sticking up for him and, and submitting this report and, and going with it. But it's just a great example of how a leader should act. Really, they should support their team and they should fight their corner and try try their hardest. They're not the same person to empower them and make sure that they are represented by themselves. As long as they don't break a moral code, I suppose. You know, I mean, if. I disagreed with something, if I was a manager and disagreed with something heavily on moral grounds, then that would be different. But if it's something like, a right, this, this guy doesn't feel like they're, they're being listened to, or they're bored, they're stagnating, they need some more training, then, you know, so I would chase some kind of training investment. You know, I would try and figure out what the problem was with this person. Why do they want to leave? What's what's up with them what what why are they turning up with a frown on the face is it a problem at home are they having issues with the spouse is there something that we can do to make things easier would it be easier to give let them work at home for a few days a week you know that kind of thing or not if they work remotely you know give them a, a safe space or somewhere to talk i don't know it could be anything figuring that out that you're a troubleshooter as a manager you should be as a leader well that kind of implies that you know your team and you work with them every day. If you can pick up on subtle things like a person not particularly feeling great, that must mean that you work alongside your team, which I don't think most managers do. Most managers either spend half a day in meetings or half in an office separate from the people they're managing. So they'll, they'll never get the opportunity to say, you know, how are you today? Or, or they'll never get the chance to know what a person's normal state is. So they just won't be able to detect when 
things happen that change that state into something else. That makes me a little bit angry, that. I forgot that that yeah. happens, that managers have their own office sometimes, and depending on the it level. Is, it doesn't always happen. Um, but I, I, I just don't see how, as a manager, you can be separate from your team. I don't get how if you're, that... a, if you're a people manager, if yeah, I mean, if you're just a work manager, essentially you're a project manager at that point, aren't you? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't a per- people. I mean, obviously, people are involved in being a project manager, and I, I know a lot of people have problems with project management in general. I, I think it's got they've got a place. I think they, uh, quite often overstep their boundaries, but I still think that it's still an important managerial position in certain companies and certain cultures. But I feel like a lot of the time they're burdened with. More, but the, the, again, their superiors burden them with more than they should be responsible for, and they feel like because they are in charge of the whole project or they're in charge of the whole part of project, if it's a big one, um, that they should be in charge of all those people as well, and should be getting the fingers dirty and, and you know trying to solve all the problems when that isn't what their job is really. They need to offload no. that responsibility to good leaders, team leaders, and you know people with even seniors mentors within the team that can offload the responsibility of this junior who's struggling for example you know yeah um i mean i looked at some official stats before and it says something like 50% of people um 50% of people that move into management don't receive any management training so whether they come from management or not um that's worrying and i think it's easy for them people who who don't receive the training to just go with what they think is a manager and you see management on television, you know, you see other people and you were, and, and I don't care what anybody says, everybody, including the most resilient of us are influenced by our peers, by the people that we see, we, we copy what other people do because we're social animals. Um, and if you see a bad manager or, and you can't identify that, what is bad about their management style, what is not working, you're going to pick up bad traits from them. Yeah, definitely. And if you see a great yeah. one, you're not always going to pick the great ones up unless you actually, you know, are told what the good parts yeah. and bad parts are. I've had this conversation with a lot of people, you know, what do you want as a manager? What makes a bad, a bad manager? What makes a good manager? Usually the people that kind of, bring up an anecdote about having a good manager they usually say stuff like you know my manager was great because he let me come in late my manager was great because he never gave me a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. or things along those lines what that sounds to me like is your manager was good because they just weren't there because you hate your job (laughs) yeah so that manager work wasn't there kind of riding you all day and um, that manager wasn't there enforcing company rule. That manager just wasn't there. So he not wasn't present, a great manager. Not present is better than them being there. That's that's not exactly. That's not a culture um, I'd want to nurture within a bit. If I was the business owner, I would hate that. Exactly. So unless you're counting numbers, I don't think you can be an effective manager. You know, and if you are just focusing on the numbers and you're running a business that relies on skilled kind of work just doomed to fail if you're running a business that literally anybody could walk in off the street and just start doing i mean not fine but i can understand why 
bad management might not really be detected there because mm. people come and go. But in places where you've got a manager who's kind of responsible for people and that that group of people, their mood can be directly affected by the mood of the manager. So the manager comes in angry. Everybody's going to be on edge for that day. And as a manager, you can't let, you have to remove yourself from the company. You have to adopt that persona that you are in control, you know, not worried, things are all right. Um, and a lot of people just can't do that. Um, the, the... A lot of people can't do that end up be, becoming management. And it's not, they don't just develop the skill. They kind of make up for it and kind of try and work around it which makes them come off as awkward or incompetent or something. I mean, they might have but, the best intentions at heart, but... That's the thing is that a lot of them don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I know. I don't know if I ever got promoted to being a manager, uh, you know, in the future. Mm. I mean, I'm sure when I was a manager, I'm sure I was an asshole. <laughs> you know? I'm sure there was times when I didn't know how... Because I never got any training. They say manager, a manager of a person, you know, an individual... I'm better at being a mentor because being a mentor isn't really, there isn't that much responsibility unless you are an official mentor, which again, I've done a fair amount of, and you set mentoring plans and talk about goals and talk about where you want to be, you know, in X weeks or X months or what kind of, you know, is it coaching versus mentoring and that kind of thing. Um, but these, I mean, my wife um, worked at a rather large private sector company pub, kind of public se private sector company that feels like a public sector kind of place big office lots of people um tiered um tiered wages you know that kind of thing um and she worked there for quite a while before i met her and she hated it she hated a manager because a manager as you just said came in in a bad mood quite a lot of the time and was just an absolute they were very toxic, right? <laughs> they they were ex extremely unproductive. And if they were in a bad mood, bad decisions were made. And a lot of the time, yeah. a lot of the time they weren't as important as other decisions, but a lot of the time they were important decisions and it affected the entire team. And just little things like, uh, you know, allowing someone to go for lunch early or something, they'd say no to because they're in a bad mood. No other reason apart from they've got control and they were... Exactly. You know, they, they were. Sorry. Think about the kind of danger that management, well, not the danger, the power that management comes with. Like I just said, if somebody comes in in a bad mood and you, I don't know, stand in front of them, coming through a door, and this person just immediately goes, you know, sort off, you're fired, sort of thing, just because they're being completely irrational, just being an arsehole. Um, Hard to get away with that these days, though, to be fair, that kind of thing, that petty. I haven't seen that, to be honest. Is it? Uh, in big companies, yeah. You know, where they've got HR, where they've got process, maybe. But in smaller companies, you know, like startups and things, no. Oh. I mean, what, what do you do there? It's like if... if, if someone the getting in the ear of someone else. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Someone getting in the ear of somebody else. That's actually happened to me as a contractor. I, um, I got another contractor on to help with a project. I essentially hired them i made the decision on, on them coming on board did the interviews and everything got them on board and they got in the ear of a brand new manager or, or the brand new it 
director or something. Okay, okay. He'd, he'd came in like a week later. And next thing I knew, I was uh, my contract was cancelled because even though I'd got them from nothing to actually delivering on a project that was almost impossible to deliver as well, and I was almost solely responsible. Say that I was leading the project. I wasn't solely responsible because I had a full team of people helping you know to get to that point. But I, I was like making the tech lead decisions. And by the end of it, just no thanks, nothing at all. Just right, we're cancelling your contract. Strip call from the agency because I don't know. And it, and it was because this guy I found out anyway. Anyway, wow. um, there's been a fair few people in chat talking and saying things, bits and bobs. Um, I'm just going to read a few things out. Um, so we've got Jamie G A Progman. Yeah, Progman. I can never actually say his name properly. Um, a lot of the smaller, fewer than 100, 100 employee companies that I've ever worked with or for have often outsourced HR to an external company but, company but don't give contact details for HR. So I suppose that's not really direct management, but we've got a um, even more of a disconnect between, you know, between him and... A, a final decision on, on some kind of human resource issue anyway. In fact, Jamie's yeah. been saying quite a lot of it. Yeah, unless you've got HR to kind of enforce the process and that HR kind of knows, doesn't know you on a personal level, but, you know, has some visibility of you and what you do day to day. You're just a voice on a phone and they've mm. just been instructed to process your sacking essentially so they're going to do what they're told to do or any issue it's not necessarily always a sacking is it it could be anything with yeah. it yeah. Um, yeah, they don't really, they've just been given an instruction and they're going to do it Jamie also said this is a little bit earlier on and it was um, said the whole you've been here for long enough you get a promotion gambit which is essentially the Peter principle that we're talking about isn't it kind of yeah the Peter principle is 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 the uh not the not the being promoted. It's the itself. It's the being promoted to an area that you're just incompetent at. Yeah, yeah. And I said we're we're talking. I'm usually coming from a techie background because I haven't really done many other jobs. I had a paper round. <laughs> Apart from that, I worked in a burger van at Lightwater Valley, that kind of thing. But management didn't really get involved with me in in that instance. But um, it's usually been. Managers in offices, managers in a tech company of some description for me, um, and I've even I've even had managers. I think I saw a comment on LinkedIn that you uh, commented on earlier on today. Actually, managers of even or team leaders who used to be a bit of a coder, you know, they come in, they come in and and try and tell you what to do and how to do it, and it's like you're not. I know you're trying to get involved, but. You know, yeah, I've done more of this than you. I'm not. I don't want. I don't. Not that I don't want to listen to people, but you know, it's not really helping. And we've got a deadline to do. And you know, <laughs> I find that heartbreaking. If you know, if the manager has an interest, if it, if it's a software development company and the manager has an interest in writing code, but they're just never allowed to because they don't have the time, which is what usually happens when you become management. You know, you can be told that yeah, you're going to remain eighty percent hands on. Like good luck doing that when you're having to do like one to ones and all sorts of management stuff every day. But I just find it really bad. Like a man, I don't know. 
a, a team leader, manager, managing a team of developers, I'd expect them to be a developer and I'd expect them to be working with you, you know, around the same desk or within the same team or in the same project. But then that kind of detracts from them being a manager. I um, have done a fair few contracts where I've went into a, a, a business and my main contract contact has been a manager, a line manager. There's one in particular that I remember they were sat in the corner um, within the team that they were working in. There was two or three small teams that they managed. And every single time that I went into the office, um, bearing in mind they were 200 odd miles away, so it was, you know, every now and again I'd go in um, yeah. once a month maybe at the at the most. And I'd spend that day and I'd, I'd have sent them emails and spoke to them previously on, on any calls and stuff and said, right, I'm coming in this day. Um, I need some of your time to talk about this, 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 and this. And they'd be like, yep, no problem. And then we get in there and they'd be completely distracted by everything, everything and anything. And I would be almost the last on their kind of, you know, radar. And it's like, it seems a lot of the time it's chaotic. And you said being in meetings a lot of the time. And that that worries me. The more time people spend in meetings um, as management or as people who should be work, you know, doing the, the physical work like coders and team leads, um, the, the, the more worrying it is, the more I see that, the more I kind of fret, I think, about, about a business. Because they don't get as many things done. Decisions should be quick. Decisions should be, you know, the, the micro decisions that we make all, you know, all day, every day about coding, about architectures and um, about, I don't know, how, how to deliver a new project or something like that. They should be done within the agile workflow, you know, within the within the the, the workflow. It shouldn't be deferred to a manager who has to have a meeting meeting with, you know, senior management and other teams and that kind of thing. It should just be a tap on the shoulder and right. We need to get this get this thing yeah. done. Um, and then it's the distraction that's the problem. So m- management will be distracted by another emails come in. Right, I'm talking to you right now. Stop looking at your screen. Um, stop worrying about the meeting pop-up that's just popped up. You said that you had time for me now, and if you don't, because you've just been invited to a meeting five minutes ago and you're going to go to that meeting, you should have said no to it. You know, you, it, it's we've already said that we got... It just, it, it's like if you're managing a team of people and you want to be making decisions for those things, then you need to be present. And I'm not talking about physically present. I'm talking about being present and engaged in the conversation like talking to somebody yep. who's on the phone all the time you know that that kind of thing it's distracted by things that aren't present that things that aren't relevant right now that's my rant yep. anyway that's my rant over <laughs> it's a good rant but i mean trying to kind of move into talking more about leadership is i've, just, I've never really seen it like i've I've had one good manager. Well, I've had, I don't know, they've been decent people. But everybody loses sight of the fact that your team and your manager, you know, you're spending eight hours a day around these people, a lot of days of the year. And if you don't get on, I don't think it, it could ever work. You are just literally doing stuff until an inevitable, miserable end or something. But I've, I've, I've had sort of decent people that have been pushed into management and they become my manager, and they've been ineffective because of the process. They don't want to do that. They've been told that they have to kind of give people um, 
disciplinaries and stuff, but they don't necessarily agree with it. That was a big thing that pushed me away from management is I don't think I'd survive very long because I cannot enforce anything on anybody that I don't agree with myself. So, you know, if my manager told me that guy or that girl can't work nine to five or can't work eight till four, they have to work uh, 10 till six every day. You know, I don't agree with that because it's, it's, there's no reason for it. So I couldn't go out and enforce that. But it'd be expected of me as a manager to kind of just shut up and, and manage. So the one thing I've learned at being an a independent contractor is when I go in and speak to management owners, people who make decisions on businesses, I defer certain decisions, but I retain quite a lot of autonomy on you know the micro part of the, of the projects I work on. And the thing that I... I see time and time again is the more decisions you put on management on someone who's above you i mean i consider my clients in in the traditional hierarchy above me they are not my managers as in people management but they are the people that i answer to because they pay my wages you know they pay my bills they pay my business expenses they are responsible for my income so i don't have to suck up to them and Believe me, I have more awkward conversations than you can imagine with most of my clients, even the clients that I am extremely friendly and on good terms with. I tell them very difficult truths all the time. That is what I expect a manager to be. I expect them to go back to my point early on in the show to be fighting my corner and to be pushing back and saying, I'm sorry, but I disagree with this 10 till 6 um, 10 till 6 agreement there's there's absolutely no evidence that that's going to get them to the you know to the point i disagree that with the fact that we've cancelled flexi time for everybody just because people aren't seen to be present from um, nine o'clock until six o'clock in the afternoon doesn't mean that they're less productive it doesn't mean that getting them to come in and forcing them to come in at that and i could probably even go away and get some studies for them if they care to read them um, it doesn't mean that they're going to deliver the project, which is behind, which is not behind because of us. It is be- behind because of budget constraints, because of things that we've asked for, because of training issues, because of this, because of that. It's behind because of the culture of the company. It's not behind yeah. because my team is not performing. And I will fight tooth and nail until people listen to me. And if they don't listen to me, I'll, I'll do my best. But what can you do? I wouldn't yeah. obviously recommend the uh, team to leave the company but I would probably end up doing that myself because what can you do what can you do if people above you aren't listening to you yeah so this person left the company Um, but if you kind of take away that that middle layer of people again and you put the people that let's take a software development company again so you've got people writing the code and then you've got somebody or some group of people that own the business so if you cut away all of that middle layer, what you'll probably find is the owners of the business are actually quite driven, quite invested in the company. They're probably quite um, charismatic, probably good leaders as well, because they've, they've made a successful business. And that's really hard to do because they've managed to convince so many people to create their dream instead of their own. And that's 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 quite a massive undertaking. But then you, they don't, you don't really see this. And these people own the business probably don't know this stuff goes on. You know, if you've got a toxic manager, 
they probably don't know there's a toxic manager because they're just removed from the day to day. So ultimately, the business kind of crumbles from the ground up. And that's the danger. So that's the danger of, of, of it. So as do a, you think a... do you think that there'd be less problems than if managers or, or sorry, rather owners were the people who were doing the work? Do you think there are because that's a startup? Or that's at exactly. least a small company and startups have their own problems, don't they? Yeah. So um no. I I'm actually sorry. working with a client at the moment who are mature. They are small, but they have large contracts with, you know, a few big contracts with that pay the bills. They've got a fair few employees, but all of the owners, and there's a number of them, they're all coders. They all code day to day. And yes, some of the skills aren't quite as, you know, polished as somebody who's contracting and moving from place to place and picking up new skills all the time. Some of them are, you know, a little bit older, you know, a little bit older than your average kind of developer, but they still have a close relationship with their employees that are also coders or testers or um I don't know, project managers, you know, everybody and anybody, the infrastructure people. And it's it's a different dynamic, but they still have their own problems. You know, it doesn't solve the issue, really. And I don't, no, know, what the, I don't know what the solution is, apart from everybody needs to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think, I think we are going to see a solution eventually. I mean, there, there, there has been a, a, a decent shift away from traditional, you know, open office plan management into like, people actually care about other people's success. Things are going in the right direction, or at least they were before the world ended. Hmm. I hope that continues. Um, now everybody's been forced to work differently. Who knows? I think uh, I think the world is. I was listening to something on telly today. I went downstairs for lunch, and um, my my wife was listening to the Jeremy Vine Jeremy Vine show. Yeah, the um, and they were they were talking about when this is all over, and that every next sentence was when this is done with, and it's like. It's not going to just go away. We're not going to go back to how we were. This is a significant shift in the world. It's not just the UK. We're an island people, aren't we? We 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 we're quite insular and quite. Um, we think of ourselves really more than the rest of the world. As much as we're not as selfish as some other cultures, we are still fairly selfish cliquey. as English. Sorry, we're very cliquey. Yes, yes, we are very cliquey. Um, but. Thinking about the way that this is this is affecting everybody, not just the remote work aspect, but also the um, just things like hygiene. You know, I mean, things like that. Everything is going to change. Everything is going to be shifted quite rapidly because we've had to have a ra- a, a radical, you know, upheaval really in in the way that we work. For people like me who work remotely and work at home anyway, and I don't really take work that is nothing much has changed for me apart from I can't go out on my Friday night dates, you know, I can't go out to the uh, a restaurant or anything like I used to. I can't go out for as many bike rides as I used to go out for. But other than that, it's very similar to how I used to kind of be. But yeah. Like, yeah. It's, like, it's like being in a, a crap Stephen King story, I've said. <laughs> And you, the boy who wanted remote working, and now he's got it, but at a terrible price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what's what is your terrible price? If you don't mind me asking, what's why? Well, pandemic. Oh <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I wanted everybody to work remotely. He's got that now. Everybody's working remotely, but <laughs> I think know, the, um, 
jo- Josie's usually the person who, who kind of uh, levels me out because I'm an advocate of remote working. I think everybody should, but she quite rightly points out that not everybody can, and this has proved it, hasn't it? Some people are going absolutely stir crazy. Some people, but this is not normal work, remote working. So. Anyway, we're not talking about remote working here. And in fact, we are going to have to close the show. So have you got any closing comments, I suppose, with, uh, with this topic? Because we've talked a lot about the general kind of management, you know, how, how we believe management should be and what the difference is between management and leadership. But is there anything we can, we can close with? Probably if you're a manager and you're kind of listening to this or, I don't know, if not, um, just, just try and be better. Like focus more on the people that you're managing. You might find that the things that you want to do aren't allowed. That is probably a good indicator that you're not ever going to be effective where you are. So you probably want to think about changing that. Or not necessarily changing your position, changing the way that you attack it. You know, try and be more uh, campaigns. You know, we, we have people who put political campaigns out there and we have people who put out... Um, uh, socio-economic type thing and, and they're, they're, they're focused on it and they dig and they dig you know people who are um, eco-warriors and that kind of thing that they, they dig and dig and dig until they actually make a tiny dint and on a company-wide scale you can do that as a manager and that's what I personally believe you should be doing you should be you yeah. shouldn't give up because that gives you something to go to work for oh I got I got a smile out of him the other day or I got you know um, I got, you know, when I when I sat down with John the other the other week, he he was he was really receptive to my new idea about this. So let's start, you know, giving him a bit more evidence and start maybe trialing some things and doing a spike here and there to maybe. Oh, we're sick of working in .dot net three point five. Let's let's do a let's get one person who hasn't got anything to do for the next couple of weeks because that does happen in permanent jobs more than more than any of us would like to admit, um, that hasn't got anything to do for the next couple of weeks, get him to do an upgrade and let's see how it goes. Do something. Yeah, do something. Make some positive change. Okay, right. So we shall close the show with our BYOM, which is our Bring bring Your Own Manual. Uh, This is something that we have learned this week. Now, normally... Josie asks me, and I defer to the guest, but because I'm the only host on today, I shall go and and lead by example here. Um, So my BYOM this week is, I have forgotten, something to do with Azure DevOps. (laughs) Um, Okay, that was it, right. So at the moment, I'm doing a big ALM migration for one of my clients and I'm moving them from kind of a mono repo SVN repo I've been doing this for weeks so everybody on the podcast will be absolutely sick of hearing me talk about this but I'm, I've been moving from a mono repo and kind of a really old Perl based build system it's, it's lovely um, into kind of separate repos and nice new Azure DevOps world with YAML pipelines and all kinds of stuff and I learned something today um, I learned that and after about four hours of banging my head against a wall again I learned that when you enable um, Git large file system on Azure DevOps, it is it does not by default pull down the tack the tracked large files into the build agent. So you have to tell the build agent specifically to pull down the large files, which 
kind of makes sense when you think about how you know you shouldn't really be pushing binaries and large files to a, a repo but unfortunately in this instance they have to because of the nature of the work that they do and legacy reasons and we've got fireworks outside i don't know if you can hear that probably not um it's the nhs thing i think we've got fireworks for the clap the nhs thing give it give masks instead of applause yes um, so yeah, that's my BYOM. Have you got one? Have you learned anything this week or today? It doesn't have to necessarily be about tech. It can be anything at all. No, it is about tech. Uh, it's something I've learned. Um, Windows containers are actually becoming viable in Docker. So I used them a couple of years ago, and they were massive. Um, but they've got new images now, Windows Nano, and a couple of others. others. It's kind of, like, kind of like Linux Alpine. Still big, but not half as big as it used to be. So they're moving in the right way. Yeah, but there's still some limitations with them. I did look into them actually for this current client and the Docker for Windows. Oh no, that was the limitation. Um, if you run Docker Linux containers on Windows, you can use Docker CI Community yeah. uh, Edition, and on the server you can also you you can use um, if you're on a Linux server you can just install Docker CI, and you can also use Docker CI on build servers and you have to switch as well. You have well, to yeah. tell Docker that you are now working with Windows. Containers. Well, yeah, but the, the point was is that when you deploy it to a server and you're using Windows containers versus Linux containers, you have to upgrade to Docker Enterprise, which has a hefty price tag. The Docker mm -hmm. Enterprise, um, Windows containers specifically need you to use Docker Windows, uh, Docker Enterprise, which is the only version that installs on Windows 2016, Windows Server 2016 onwards. It is. So bear that in mind. So you've just crushed my learning thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, you know what? That's what it's about. It's about learning. So I don't, I only learned that a few weeks ago. So I was doing some investigation into should I use Docker Windows and Docker Windows containers suitable for this because they have loads of WCF services that I wanted to think about Dockerizing. Um, I'm not actually mm -hmm. using Docker at all now because we couldn't. Upgrading to .NET Core was too much of a headache for um, the size of the application. So, yeah. only use Windows containers if you need to. That's the that's the key thing here, I think. Okay, so we shall close the show now. So we are now at the end of the show. Thanks to everybody in Twitch chat for joining. So we didn't read out too many things um, in chat. There was a fair few people chatting. Um, uh, but thanks for joining in and do uh, and thanks to everybody listening on to the podcast on the future. Finally, thank you very much, Paul, for, for coming on the show. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed yourself. And yeah. if you did, I'm quite happy to have you back. Just usually uh, usually badges people live and gets them to awkwardly say yes, but I'm not gonna do that. But we'll chat. We'll chat outside. No, we have to probably talk about leadership then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can actually said there's the we we rambled a bit. We got a little bit off course. Josie will be very upset with me, but it is what it is. You know? Yeah, it's fine. It's good. So if you have anything to pimp, you've got your own company or you've got any side projects, any open source projects or anything at all, if you want to do that now, feel free. Um, I'm not, not going to pimp anything. I'm just going to say donate to the NHS or the Coronavirus Fund or something. Put your money there instead of somewhere else. But they need it more than we do. They do well. They're getting a fair amount of donations. I was in somewhat. Was it Bet Three Six Five's CEO donated to like ten million recently? We know why, but 
how can you? Uh, yeah, it's another another topic. But why has one person got ten million to donate? But they had to, she because she got a hundred and seventy one million dividend, which was probably tax free somehow. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live where we post links to all of our podcasts. Um, You can check us out on things like Spotify, YouTube, um, our Discord channels on there as well. Basically links to everything that we we do is on www.dnistream.live. And don't forget to, if you are new to the channel, follow us on Twitch above. So thanks to everybody. Thanks to Paul. We'll see you next week, Thursday, 7 o'clock. See you later. Bye-bye.